Welcome back to the sermon podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. We're glad that you're with us today. In a chaotic world, the striving for peace feels more critical now than at any other time in our lives. Peace, however, isn't something that just happens. It is something that we pursue. It comes from having God at the center of our lives and our willingness to live intentionally in that awareness. It isn't the absence of conflict, no matter how much the world might want to describe it that way. Conflict will always have winners and losers the way the world practices it. Therefore, the world's peace doesn't get us where we need to be. The Holy Spirit, the Advocate, as Jesus refers to her, is the bringer of peace in our life, the peace of Christ, which stands in stark contrast to the peace the world claims to bring. With the pursuit of peace, we are looking for a center of relief in our life, being centered in our spirit, a a calmness. The experience of peace is the unwavering assurance that God has made a home with us. As God makes a home with us, there is not only peace, but there is power to move forward, to move forward faithfully, as followers of the risen Christ. We're glad you're with us this week, and I would invite you to listen now to the Reverend George Crisp as he brings the sermon, The Colors of Peace. Our scripture reading today is John 14, 23 through 29. Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our homes with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from my Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace that I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you will rejoice that I go to my father because my father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. Holy wisdom, holy word. There should be upon the screen a prayer that I'd like you to say with me. Lord, grant that what we say with our lips, we may believe in our hearts, and what we believe in our hearts, we may practice in our lives. Amen. You've heard about hybrid cars, yes? Maybe some of you drive one, or two, or three, or want one. (laughs) We have a hybrid worship service, partly online and partly here in person. This is kind of a hybrid sermon. I'm a manuscript preacher, and standing out here and talking like JT does scares me to death. But I'm going to stand out here and talk 
with my notes. Do you have a watchword? A watchword is a word or a phrase that expresses your core aims or your beliefs or your values, something that's important to you. Many in this church will remember Shirley Houston's watchword. Everybody knows that she said, You don't remember. Oh gosh. Love. Love was her watchword. She wore that belief as a part of every interaction in her life. Sue and I have a friend whose name is Sharon, whose watchword is hope. And she brings that value to every conversation that she has. If you have a watchword, and it's okay if you don't have one, but maybe it's something like strength or courage. Maybe you look for beauty. Maybe your word is patience or comfort, or generosity, or some other kind of hard-to-define, not-tactile kind of attitude that you have. A watchword is something that guides you every day, a choice that you make to be open, or kind, or brave, or, you know, we could go on naming watchwords for the rest of the day. Sue's watchword is joy. Joy is a value that she holds, and it's a choice that she makes every day in her life. It's new every morning for her. Maybe you've noticed that about her. My watchword is peace. And it's something that I seek for and I strive for in every waking moment of my life, and sometimes I fail to be peaceful. But every day, I aspire to be a person of peace. You might catch me not being so peaceful sometimes. This morning, I want to explore the colors of peace with you. And I'd like this sermon to be a little interactive And before you are five pieces of colored paper with the letters that spell out the word P-E-A-C-E, peace. I'd like you, collectively, to choose which letter we delve into each step of the way. Now, that might make you feel like this sermon is a little disjointed. And maybe it will be. But that's okay with me. I hope it'll be okay with you. I thought it might be fun to let you be a part of deciding how we unpack this subject. Shall we give it a go? Which letter do you... Now you're going to have to maybe decide together. Let's mind meld for a minute. What letter do you want to start with? P? You're so predictable. I think of the letter P, and I think of the pursuit of peace. 
That's what comes to mind. Some of us are seeking beauty and peace in, or we're seeking peace in the beauty of a mountain forest. Or beside the ocean, that's your place for looking for peace. Or maybe in the expanse of the desert. I, I drove over to Scottsdale this uh, last week for two or three days, and there's a lot of desert out there. Others will find peace much closer to home, perhaps in your backyard and with your family. Maybe a few of us pursue peace by sitting in our easy chair and reflecting on the day or reading our devotions or offering our prayers. We are seeking the kind of peace that brings serenity. Maybe that's the color of blue to give you a little serenity. Maybe we just want a few moments of quiet. Leave me alone. Five minutes, please. There's a lot of negativity out there these days. Some have given it the name cancel culture. And if you don't know what cancel culture is, it's the practice of, or the tendency to express somebody's disapproval, dismissing somebody else's actions, putting social pressure on people for something that we don't like. We're all in danger of the fear and anxiety and cynicism of those around us. In a negative society, I want to know, and I've asked this question for years, why don't we wage peace the way we wage war? In our lesson for this morning, it is scriptural here, Jesus is teaching his disciples that the pursuit of peace is intentional. But not necessarily a solitary pursuit. Yes, as individuals we look for solitude and serenity, but Jesus is saying that peace in our mind and in our heart and soul comes from having God at the center of our being. Let that soak in for a minute. Peace comes from having God at the center of our being. In the church, pursuing peace comes from following that path that God places in front of us. That God leads us on that path. Shall we choose another letter? Hey, that's creative thinking. Skip over that first E. When I think of the world's understanding of peace, I think most of the time it's generally the absence of conflict, the absence of strife or hardship or war. This kind of peace, however, is a false peace. It's based on a mom the momentary success of one force over another. One side accepts defeat, the other one rules in triumph. The world cannot give peace, even if we try to broker it through diplomacy. Sometimes we say such peace is hard-won, or it's fragile. 
This kind of peace does not set our hearts at ease or put our souls at rest. We are nearing the end of the great 50 days of Easter. You remember Easter? It's still in, present with us in that banner. Like the early church, we can't expect that this year's Easter celebrations mean that all will be well now. We're in it for the long haul. All of our alleluias don't take away the sting of lost jobs or the challenge of trying to put food on the table or the difficulty of ensuring people's equality. Alleluias, however joyful they may be, won't provide a safety net from violence and hatred. We've seen that with the mass shootings in the last couple of weeks. The fading alleluias remind us of a Jesus who remains with us, dwelling in our hearts, even though he may be physically absent from us. We in the 21st century have always been that way. It was a little bit different for the disciples. I think of the roller coaster that the disciples had with Jesus. First of all, he called them into ministry. They were with Jesus. They learned about Jesus. And then he was arrested and taken from them, eventually crucified and died. They were without Jesus. Now what do we do? And then he rose from the dead, and lo and behold, Jesus again. There's Jesus. And he gathers them together and is preparing to go away, to ascend into heaven. No Jesus again. But he gives a promise. The Advocate. The Holy Spirit who will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. We have a companion. He reassures his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. I do not give as the world gives. This is one of two times in the farewell discourse that Jesus talks about the gift of peace. But it's not the peace of a greeting or the instability, instability of world peace, but a peace that is equated with life and truth. It is a positive, affirming peace. It is a peace that contains the active presence of God. What letters next? Did I hear C? Somebody should do a psychological study on why I chose which color for which word. I don't know. One thing we want when we are seeking peace is a sense of calm. A way to center ourselves let the noise and the stress of the day fade away. If something's troubling us, if we're dealing with conflict, we want to bring a resolution so we can find a sense of relief. We want our souls to be quieted. We want peace and we want it now. 
calm, comfort, centering. Imagine the most beautiful garden. Maybe it's in your backyard. Maybe it's in some formal setting in a foreign country. A garden by design, the gates and the paths and the alcoves are, are, are meant to satisfy the human mystery and to bring resolution. Didn't know that about gardens until I started working on this. A well-planned garden mirrors the invitation to a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage through beauty to a sense of peace that comes with resolution. Such a garden invites us in for reflection, soul-searching, and peaceful prayer, communion with God. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He is preparing his disciples for his departure. He is teaching his disciples that it's possible for them to release him so that he can be reunited with God, and for that they can rejoice. How can they rejoice that Jesus is leaving yet again? Will he still love us? Will he care about us? If Jesus loves you, will there be enough love for me? You can hear the anxiety. It may be strange to think about the gift of peace in the middle of this talk about leaving, but there it is. The revelation of peace comes when we are at home with Jesus. When we are not afraid to have peace in our hearts. Remember what we sang in Sunday school? I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Yeah, right. Try that in the King James Version. The peace that passeth understanding. Very hard. Another letter? There's one E, or there's two E's, rather. But which one do you want? The first one or the second one? First one. You're so decisive. One of the things that we want to have is an established sense of peace. We want long-lasting peace. You know, parents, uh, you've experienced with your children having separation anxiety. Maybe you have it in other kinds of ways too, but dropping off your kids at school and there, mommy, will you be back for me? You know, all of that. The disciples had that same anxiety at the thought of Jesus being taken from them and being left on their own. On that last supper evening, Jesus made his disciples a promise. Jesus reassures them that God will not abandon them, but will send the advocate, the spirit, to guide them and teach them everything, to remind them of what he said and what he did and what he taught them. The promised spirit will make the power, love, and presence of Jesus available to those of us who live centuries after the disciples. It will be an established peace. In fact, it is because of the Holy Spirit that we know Jesus at all.
Remember the old spiritual? Jesus walked this lonesome valley. Second verse says, We have to walk it by ourselves. Oh, nobody else can walk it for us. Jesus in John's gospel is saying just the opposite. If we seek to live in Jesus' love and if we keep his words, we are not alone. The Spirit will dwell in us, establishing and deepening our sense of peace. Someone wrote a fourth verse to that spiritual. We will walk this lonesome valley, but God is walking close beside. Oh, never alone in this dark valley, for God is walking by our side. Well, there's one letter left. An orange E. Tangerine with E spelled backwards. For us modern day disciples, peace is not the absence of something, but it is the experience of the loving presence of God in our lives. Peace may be the end of conflict, but there's also more. Peace may be a feeling of inner well-being, but there's more. Peace means an end to tensions, and there's more. There's, peace is silencing and settling the turmoil of our soul, and there is more. Peace means fairness and justice and resolution. That's the experience of peace. Christ's peace is the unwavering assurance that God has made a home in our hearts. As JT would say, God loves you. And I'm trying. That's the part that I always seem to echo. As Jesus gets his crew of followers ready for his departure, he says it's to their advantage that he goes away. Winding through this part of John's gospel is the message, you must go on. There is more to do. You are not finished with your journey. He is reassuring his disciples that they will be okay when he's gone. He is trying to relieve their anxiety, ease their grief, the grief that they are feeling, and bring the gift of peace to their sense of loss. The Holy Spirit will guide them, open the way to them, take, helping them take new directions. Easter is never the final destination for the disciples. Oh, Jesus is raised from the dead, we can rest now. No. It's never the final destination for the disciples for us, for our souls. Throughout their life, worship and prayer, by the experience of community and networking with others, with their faithful application of baptism and communion, in their practices of hospitality, caregiving, all of that, serving others, that's what the disciples learned and passed on to us. That's our job as Christians. The church became the church by doing those things. Easter begins that transition between one reality and another and Jesus adds, I will come again 
and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Last year I wrote a poem, a poem of peace that I'm going to ask you to uh, help me recite it this morning. The words are going to appear on the screen and I'll give you a little direction as we go along. Um, The first two slides I'd like to have all of us join together. And then I'm going to ask the women and then the men and then we'll all come back to the fourth verse. So uh, let's, let's try this this morning. There is peace in the air after spring rain. Peace in the blossoming garden domain. There is peace in the warmth of a calm summer's night. Peace when the darkness kisses candlelight. There is peace in the wave of the pines in a breeze. Peace in the autumn wind rustling the leaves. There is peace in the stream with the cold waters flow. Peace on the earth with the winter's first snow. Ladies? Keep going. Gentlemen, there is peace in the heart when you've not learned hate. Peace full of promise, it's never too late. There is peace to be made when the treaty is signed. Peace to be seen when the stars are aligned. There is peace to be heard in the blend of harmony. Peace that you taste both sweet and savory. There is peace to be seen in the comforts of home. Peace to be held in the depths of shalom. All of us now. There is peace in the depths of our prayer. Peace in each act of tender, loving care. There is peace at the end as a way slips the soul. Peace in the tears you weep when you're whole. There is peace in the water that claims you by name. There is peace in the midst of the Spirit's wild flame. There is peace beyond measure in the cup and the bread. Peace in the host whose table is spread. In the upper desert off Highway 138 near Pear Blossom, you can follow a winding road to Vallermo. And there you come to a religious community established by the Benedictines, Benedictine, Benedictine monks. It's a 400-acre ranch that's been converted into a retreat center called St. Andrew's Abbey. I visited there for an overnight retreat in January. It was a beautiful, clear couple of winter days in the Southern California desert. My spirit was moved by a large sign posted near the entrance. It simply read, no hunting except 
for peace. The world is hunting for peace. But the world's definitions of peace cannot match the colors of peace that Jesus offers. Jesus promises the the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts away from fear and toward the holiness of faith. Jesus calls us to a life of improving this world by dwelling in the peace of the Lord and passing that peace along to others. And I've said these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope that it has been a source of inspiration and encouragement for your spiritual journey. If you're interested in more information about the church, we would invite you to come to our website at redlandsfirstchurch.org. We hope you will join us in person, online, or via this podcast each week as together we open our lives to the movement of the Holy Spirit that we might grow in faith and be strengthened in the ways that we reflect Christ's presence in the world. Thank you.